Hey, um, it is great to see you all here. And before we get started, I want to just take a second and pray. We have a couple of things happening around the world that are really big right now. And we want to pray for the folks in Norway. Uh, if you haven't heard, there was some terrorism that happened, over, uh, happened there a couple of days ago uh, at a children's camp. And, uh, and so we want to pray for that. And then also, you know that right now, here at home in the United States, the Congress is going through a major trial trying to figure out our budget. And you know, people tell us this is going to have big ramifications. And we just need to recognize that God is sovereign. He rules even over the Congress in our United States. So if you just bow your heads and we'll pray for a second. Lord, first, we just want to start by praying for the people in Norway. And uh, that is a country that is sort of known for its peace and its laid-back attitude toward life in many ways. And uh, it just reminds us that we live in a dangerous world. And we are so uh, sad for the families that have lost a child or lost uh, a husband or a wife or a loved one. And we want to pray for them. We want to pray for that country and how it responds to that. Lord, we pray that your grace and that your comfort will uh, become prominent during this time in that country. So, Lord, we just lift up those people. We also want to pray for our Congress and our president, and uh, they have a huge decision before them, apparently, that will have uh, big ramifications to those of us that live in this country. And, Lord, we are grateful that they do that job, and I know that we poke at them a lot, and we can become very critical, but it's a very difficult job that they do. And we lift them up. We pray for our president. We pray for those in Congress. We pray that you give them wisdom. Help them not to be self-serving or just politically motivated, but that, uh, Lord, that they would really look at what's happening and make the best possible decision. So we pray for your wisdom for them. And we are grateful, God, that we can bring to you even the largest things and the smallest things. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, listen, we are in this series, and I want to begin by uh, having you imagine something that's kind of a cool thing. Let's say that right after the service, we're out on uh, the patio, and we're just hanging around and talking, and I come up to you, and I say, hey, can I talk to you for just a second? Uh, just step over here. And uh, it's always funny. When a pastor does that to just a typical person, they're like, oh, no. You know, it's just like, what did I do? What's the problem? It's just a great thing that we get to inflict on you. And uh, so we walk over and I say, hey, listen, um, something really amazing has happened to me. I just won the lottery. And I realized that for the, next, for the rest of my life, I'm going to get $86,400 every day. But here's my problem. We have a policy at Mariner's Church that we cannot play the lottery. And so if I start taking that money, I'm going to lose my job. So here, would you do me a favor? Would you be willing to accept this money from me every single day? We'll have to hook up every day, and I'll, I'll just give you $86,400, and uh, you don't need to earn it. You don't, you know, there's nothing you need to do for it. I just have to sort of give it away, and I, I, I just appreciate it so much if I could give it to you. Now, how many of you think that you could spend $86,400 every day? How many of you aren't sure, but you'd like to give it a try? Okay, <laughs> there you go. And, and, but there'd be one caveat, and I'd say, listen, here's the deal. 
You have to spend it all. You cannot carry any of it over. None of it goes into savings. None of it goes into retirement. You have to spend it every single day or you lose it. All right, and that, it would probably be a little bit of a challenge. Well, you know what's an interesting thing? Guess how many seconds are in every day? Not hard to guess, 86,400. That's how many seconds we get in a 24-hour period. And it's an interesting thing. We don't earn it. We don't really deserve it. We just get it. And another interesting thing, we never get to carry it over. Whatever we decide we're going to spend, however we're going to spend that in a day is how that's spent. And then the next day, we get a whole new slot of 86,400. And that is our time. That is what God gives us every single day. And he basically says you can spend it any way that you want. It's up to you. This is for you. Just a gift. And it's a very important thing because what we know when we step back and think about it for a second, is that all those seconds add up to minutes and hours and days and to weeks and months and years. And that is our life. What we do with those seconds becomes our life. That's what we're going to talk about today as we are pouring through the book of Ephesians. And if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians Chapter 5, uh, let me review just for a second for those of you that are coming in midstream. Uh, we've been in this book for a while. And uh, Ephesians, for the first three chapters, uh, basically the Apostle Paul, who wrote this to the church at Ephesus, spends time talking about everything uh, that we have been given by God. What our identity in Christ, that's the phrase that we use, our identity in Christ. Because we're connected to Jesus this is who you are. And it is just vastly different than how we typically think about ourselves or how other people think about us. And I'd want to encourage you, if, if you've missed those talks, um, these talks that we're giving that are extremely practical now and have to do with our response to this identity issue, I just encourage you to go back and listen to those messages because we spent a lot of time talking about our identity and who Jesus has made us and who we are now and all the cool things that uh, is involved. Then, in chapter 4, there is a switch. Ephesians is six chapters long. In chapter 4, there is a switch halfway through the book where all of a sudden, Paul says, now that your identity is clear, let me tell you how to walk in a worthy manner, of, uh, in a worthy manner to this call. Let me tell you how you should respond, how your life should look, what you should do in response to everything that God has done for you. And so now we're in that section of the book. And so we're getting lesson after lesson, challenge after challenge, instruction after instruction about how we should live. And uh, it's an interesting thing because grace, the idea of grace is not opposed to effort. God is not uh, opposed to us working hard and pursuing things that he calls us to. But he is against, grace is against the idea that we need to earn it, that God won't love us unless we do it. And so in the chapters 4, 5, and 6, he's going to tell us, I want you to work hard at this. I want you to really put in some effort. You're not earning my love because I've already given you my love. You're not earning acceptance. You're not earning heaven. I've already given you those things. But these are the things that somebody that has the identity that you have right now will live out. This is who you are. 
And that's what we're looking at now. He uses a phrase, and this is just by way of introduction, but this ties in. It's important. He uses a phrase that we are to live in a manner worthy. And that word live can also be translated, if you were here before, live can be translated, any of you remember what that is? To walk. Yep, to walk in a manner worthy. And the reason I bring that up is because this is the idea of a journey. It isn't as if we have this identity that God's given us and now all of these things just come naturally to us. We do all these things naturally. It's the idea we're on a journey and it's going to take some effort and we're going to sometimes do well and sometimes not so well. But what Paul's going to point out is here is the journey God has called you to. Okay, so with all that being said, Turning your Bibles to chapter 5, verse 15. And let's read. We're only going to do three verses today. And we'll go ahead and read those right now. It says this. Read with me. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish but understand what the Lord's will is. All right, now this starts off with a warning, and it says, be very careful, be very careful. And here's the idea that Paul is going to start right here, is he wants you to be alert, he wants you to be sort of ready and uh, intentional about your life. Uh, Don't just sort of fall into it. And uh, I was reminded of how this, this idea works yesterday. I was at the main campus, and as the service wound down, they did kind of a cool thing out in the lake. Uh, if you've been to the main campus, they have a lake there or a pond. Uh, and they did some paddle boarding out on the pond. And so that was kind of a cool thing. We will, you know, when we have our lake, that's what we'll do too, okay? You all up for that? All right. So anyway, uh, Kenton gets out, and he, he's a paddle boarder, I guess, and so he got out, and he was paddling around the lake and so forth, and I was just out there sort of watching, and he came back in, and he said, Kevin, come on out. You need to try this. And I was like, no, no, that's okay. I've never done it before. I didn't really want to fall in front of hundreds of people that were watching. And he goes, no, 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 really. It's not that hard. You can do it. So I'm like, uh, okay, fine. Uh, maybe you can see this coming. And so anyway, I go down, I wait out there, get up onto the paddle board, sort of hold on to Kenton. Kenton tells me how to do it. And I'm just about to shove off. And I am shoved off. And Kenton behind pushes the board. I go flying onto my back, land on the board, fall into the water. And, uh, and as, you know, as I was hitting the board, I was thinking, Kevin, you're such an idiot. I mean, you know Kenton's going to do this. We've been friends for like 35 years, and we're sort of brothers in a kind of a weird, twisted, demonic kind of way. And we do these things to, us, to each other all the time. And so, you know, as I go into the water and come up, and as I'm walking out, you know, the staff that are there are just saying, did you not think Kenton would do that to you? What, what's wrong with you? Almost like he can't help himself. It's like putting an alcoholic in front of a bottle of whiskey. What? Of course he's going to do that. And I was not being careful. All right? So just when you're thinking about this, just, you know, you never want to be in a place where Kenton can embarrass you. Okay? I'm just warning you. That's the idea of being careful here. Okay, so... Fun with that. All right, be careful then how you live. This is that same word, live, which is translated not live, but walk. 
and it's the idea of a journey. It's the last time that this, this word has been used five times since the beginning of chapter four. Last time he's going to use it. He's just making this point. We're on a journey together, so here's the next step of your journey. Don't live as unwise, but live as wise. And in the Bible, if you're not really familiar with the Bible, there's a whole um, sort of section of the Bible or a uh, category in the Bible called the wisdom literature. And it's a very interesting thing. Uh, interesting thing. It comes out of Jewish tradition and tr Jewish history. And so in the Old Testament, there was this idea that there was the way of wisdom and the way of you know, being unwise. There's these two ways. And in fact, the Jews even personalized wisdom, so it was almost like it was a person. And in fact, if you read the book of Proverbs, which is all about wisdom, how you live in a wise way, uh, you'll see that very often wisdom is given a personal pronoun, she. And it's almost as if wisdom has a personality. And in the book of Proverbs, uh, if you look at chapter 1, and I'm not going to bring it up on the screen, but if you have your Bibles, you can look at chapter 1 in Proverbs, starting in verse 20, and you get this idea of how wisdom, how wisdom is personalized, and we have to make a decision if we're going to have a relationship with wisdom or not. And so let me just read a couple segments out of chapter 1. If you don't have your Bibles turned there, that's fine. Just listen. But listen to how it's personalized, and listen to what we learn about wisdom uh, in this chapter. And the reason for this is because Paul is pulling on the idea that his people, the people he's writing to, understand the wisdom literature, how wisdom is seen in the Bible. So uh, this is what it says, starting in verse 20. I'm sort of skipping around, so if you're reading with me and you're like, I don't know where he is, that's okay, just listen. Uh, out in the open, wisdom calls aloud. She raises her voice in the public square. On the top of the wall, she cries out. At the city gate, she makes her speech. So you can see that personalized idea of who wisdom is. And then wisdom says this, How long will you, who are simple, love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? Repent at my rebuke. Then I will pour out my thoughts to you. I will make known to you my teachings. But since you refuse to listen when I call and no one pays attention when I stretch out my hand, since you disregard all of my advice and do not accept my rebuke, I'm, uh, I, I will turn, uh, I will laugh when disaster strikes you. I will mock when calamity overtakes you. For the waywardness of the simple will kill them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. And then it says this, but whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. Now, let me just make a couple of conclusions about this. And this is important as we then bring it back into what Paul teaches at Ephesus about wisdom, about being wise or unwise. Here's the first thing, is that wisdom, here is what wisdom is from a biblical standpoint. It is simply understanding and living from God's perspective, okay? It is seeing things the way that God sees them and living in the way that he says we should live. That is all that wisdom is, okay? It doesn't have to do with being brilliant. It doesn't have to do with being clever. The kind of what we think when we call somebody a wise person, we think that they're probably brilliant or super smart or super knowledgeable or super clever, you know, sort of that sage kind of an idea, that is not a biblical idea. From a biblical standpoint, wisdom is simply seeing things 
the way that God sees things, and then doing the things that he says you should do. And that sort of leads to the second point, which is wisdom is never theoretical. Wisdom is always applied. In other words, it does not matter that you know what God wants you to do. It does not matter just that you see things from his perspective. If you don't actually do them, the Bible has a word for that, which is you are called a fool. In other words, you can be smart all day long. You can know the Bible forwards and backwards. You can argue theology with, with the best of them. But the word that the Bible has for the person that knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it is fool. So it's always applied. Uh, how many of you have ever heard of Dave Ramsey? financial guy, okay, or maybe taking his class, and how many of you would consider Dave Ramsey very wise when it comes to money? Okay, and most of us would, but let me just, just to make this clear, the truth of the matter is you don't know if he's wise, biblically speaking, when it comes to money necessarily, because wisdom isn't the fact that he can just tell you how to spend your money well, or how to budget, or how to get out of debt, or whatever it is. Wisdom, from a biblical standpoint, means that Dave Ramsey is applying all of God's truth when it comes to money to his life. That would make him wise. And the last thing is that wisdom's purpose is always to line you up with God and to help you walk in the way he wants you to walk. That's always what wisdom is for. Okay? That's, that's why God gives us wisdom. Another thing is we can lose wisdom. And uh, King Solomon, who's considered the wisest person who ever lived, outside of Jesus, I suppose, uh, he went through a season of his life where he was extremely unwise, and he was the first to say it. Now, he didn't lose his mental capacities. He didn't lose what he had learned. He was still a really smart guy. But he went through a season of his life where he didn't apply the wisdom, the knowledge that God gave him. And if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, you'll see that he considers himself worthless during that time. So here's the deal. You can be wise or unwise, and you can be wise or unwise in certain areas of your life. You may be very wise when it comes to sexual immorality. We talked about that last week, or how you handle your sexuality. That doesn't mean just that you know how to handle your sexuality, but you actually do it. You line it up. You may be very wise in that area, and at the same time, you may be very unwise in how you handle your finances. So wisdom, you can apply it to one area of your life and you live that way, and another area of your life you don't, and you can lose it. So here Paul is saying, listen, as believers, I want you to live with wisdom. I want you to apply these things that I'm going to teach you. And he's going to talk now specifically about how you use your time, how you use the 86,400 seconds that you are given every single day. I want you to be wise when it comes to how you use your time. And uh, it, when he says, making the most of every opportunity, when he says that in this passage, uh, let me explain. He is using a word that we don't really get here unless we sort of go back to the original language, the Greek that this was used in. There are two words that the Greeks use for time. Uh, you are familiar with the first one. 
It is chronos, and we get what word from chronos? Chronology, okay? It is the idea that time is cyclical, just like an alarm clock, just like the hands on a clock goes round and round and round and round. The idea with this kind of time is there is an infinite amount of it. Every second, there will be a second that follows. Every minute, there will be a minute that follows. Hour, hour, day, day, year, year, on and 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 on. And time goes on and on and on. And the idea here is that we measure time. But time is just sort of the cyclical thing that repeats. And the idea here is if you don't get it right now, you will get it right later. You have unlimited time. Don't worry about it. That's what clocks are for. Clocks just measure the time. But there's nothing special about any particular point of time. And in our culture, most of us live with that idea. I mean, most of us have watches. Most of us look at clocks. And we think of time as chronos. Let me tell you two traps we fall into when we think of time as chronos. Here's the first one. Is we waste time. We waste time. So, you know, we sort of think, you know what? Procrastination. I'll get to it tomorrow. I'll have time tomorrow. Why, why do today what you can put off till tomorrow? You know, sort of the, the procrastinator's creed. And uh, a lot of us procrastinate. And that is a mark of chronos. It means that we're thinking about time. We have indefinite amount of time. I can put this off and do it later. Uh, wasting time. Another way that we do it is we might get into a routine that we know is not moving our lives forward at all. It just sort of keeps us going. And we don't think in terms of improving or making really radical steps forward in our life. Maybe we get locked into a job. Jairus was sort of sharing about that. Just locked into a job and, you know what, I have to make money anyway and I don't love my job and it's not really taking me anywhere. But I have time in the future. At some point, I'll do it. Or this idea is, you know, uh, I know that I should spend more time with my kids or more time with my wife or I should exercise more. Uh, but this is such now a crazy season of my life. I'll get to it. I'll get to it. When things slow down, I'll get to it. Well, that's a mark that we're thinking with chronos as the way that we see time. In other words, hey, there's always going to be more of that stuff. I can do it later. It's an interesting thing because uh, we make two mistakes that seem to be very different on a continuum but really are from the same thing. Either we waste time or we try to pack too much into our time. And that's probably a lot of us. If I was to say, how are you doing? What's going on in your life? Very often the way that we answer that question is, oh, I am so busy. You know, I am busier than a one-handed wallpaper hanger, you know, or I am busier than a one-footed guy in a butt-kicking contest or whatever the thing is, and you sort of think, I am so, so busy. And, you know, it's interesting. The reason I think that we say it, and I say it too, is we think it's kind of a badge of honor in our society. I am so important. I have so many things to do. Boy, am I busy. But here's the great danger of being busy is that for all of that energy, for all of that work, we may not be making much progress at all. Kate, when uh, my daughter, when she was two years old, uh, she loved dolls. Not unusual for a two-year-old. Uh, it really, for a short season of her life, 
she decided that she would bring her dolls to the dining room table for dinner every night, that it was important. And we started to say, we're going to have to limit the amount of dolls you bring, Kate, because there's not enough room for the rest of your family. And she said, she said, Dad, how can I say no to one of my dolls? How can I pick? And so she would be downstairs, and we would call for dinner. And that would be her sign that she needed to start picking up all the dolls that she had. And because she loved dolls, she was getting presents for, you know, dolls for presents constantly. So she was getting more and more of these things. Finally, we started telling people, you are going to kill our child if you give her any more dolls. She's going to get a hernia. Stop doing it. And so she would be coming up the stairs with her hand full of dolls. They'd be dropping, and she'd be trying to get them up. She'd organize them around the table and all of these kinds of things. Uh, you know, and eventually, the joy she found in her dolls became a major headache and chore for her because she had to bring them to dinner every night. And this thing that should have been a great thing for her became something that was awful. It became a curse. And you know, we are like my daughter Kate so often because we see all of these things that we want to do with our time. We don't know how to say no. And so we just grab more and more and more and more. And they're all good things. That's the problem. They're all good things. But after a while, we are running so fast and so hard and we are so tired. And it's not that any of it is bad or very little of it is bad. And we are just wasted because we have not measured our time the right way. So whether we waste time or we're sort of frenetic and we are just crazy with our time and we try to pour way too much into it. God says doing that is unwise. That is not the way you should do it because you're seeing time in the wrong way. Chronos is really not the way that God gives us time. And so the word here is not chronos. When it says make the most of every opportunity, it does not use the word chronos. It uses another Greek term for, for time, and that is kairos, okay? Kairos. Okay, let's say that on three, and you'll have spoken your Greek for the day, and that's a great thing. Okay, on three, kairos. One, two, three, kairos. All right, you're sort of, ah, you got to sort of hawk one on the person in front of you. Ah. All right, kairos. All right, now kairos looks at time in a totally different way. Kairos looks at time in a linear way, sort of like an hourglass. In other words, you don't have unlimited of this. It runs out. What you have is you have time that marches on, and it's really marked by several opportunities that come your way every day. Every day you get a set amount of opportunities that God is giving you, and you are responsible for seizing these opportunities, for grabbing them as they come, and making the most of these opportunities. Kairos. That's the idea of kairos. And in fact, the Greeks were so enamored with this idea that they actually created a little god that they called, a little one of their little Greek gods that they called Kairos. Let me describe Kairos to you. Kairos is short. Kairos had wings on his feet. In other words, he was blazing fast. He was sort of like the roadrunner, and he just went tearing around. He had a bag of gold that he carried with him, and he had a very unusual hairstyle. Uh, his hairstyle, actually, it was a little, kind of similar to mine. Uh, he was bald. He was totally bald, except for one big lock of hair that came off the front of his head. And the idea here was that as Kairos came running around and came running toward you, if you didn't grab onto that hair as he was approaching you, 
you would never be able to grab onto anything when he went by you. In other words, you'd grab for that bald, shaved head in the back, and you wouldn't grab onto anything. And the idea that the, the Greeks had, it was a great insight. They said, if you're going to seize the opportunity, if you're going to grab Kairos, you better identify it and catch it while it's coming toward you, because once it's gone, it's gone. And I thought it would be so great for us just to practice this notion of kairos. So if you're sitting behind someone that has a ponytail, I just want you to reach out and grab it and say, kairos. <laughs> Go ahead. Just, I'm, I'm totally OK with that. All right. So that's the idea of kairos. All right. That's the idea of how kairos works. And, uh, and, and what Paul would add to that is, whereas the Greeks didn't have this idea, Paul would say there is actually a sovereign, wise God that has perfectly organized the opportunities that are coming your way. In other words, no opportunity is random. No opportunity he means for you to waste. He has these opportunities coming at you at the exact right time, perfectly set for you to live the life that he wants you to live. That's what Paul would see. And so when he says, make the most of every opportunity, he's doing it in the context of there is a mighty, sovereign, loving God that has this path he wants you to walk, this journey that you're going to take, and he's going to assist you by giving you perfectly the right opportunities just for you, just the opportunities you need to make uh, the journey that he wants you to make. Kairos. That's the idea. Kairos. Now, the final thing that Paul says, now, you better make the most of your opportunities because the days are evil. And here's what Paul is doing. And again, we're going to talk a lot about this at the end of the book. But Paul has a worldview that there is, the, uh, there is you know, two forces in, in the cosmos and one is heavenly and great, and it's led by God and Jesus, and it's wonderful. And then one is led by Satan and his demons. We've already stumbled across this a few times in the book of Ephesians. Uh, remember when uh, we looked in Ephesians 2, and Satan is called uh, the prince of the air. Do you remember that term? It's a weird term. But they actually believed back in that day that Satan and his forces were all around us. And they were invisible, so we didn't see them, but they were in the air. And in fact, they had a saying that if you were to shove a pin into the air, you couldn't help but hit a demon somewhere, because that's how thick the demons are around us. Now, Paul is using that. I don't know that that's totally accurate. Paul is using that uh, in a Greek society to try and explain, well, you all know that if you just go with the flow of things in our society, you're going to make bad decisions and you are not going to get the opportunity. You're not going to pursue the opportunities God has. And so when he says the days are evil, he's, saying, he's simply saying, which is good for us, if you go with the flow, if you go with the flow, you're going to make bad decisions. Because society does not pursue the opportunities that God gives. In fact, society tends to look at time as chronos. And here's, here's really what Paul is warning us of. When a moment comes, when one of your kairos moments come, one of the greatest dangers you face, one of the greatest temptations you have is to say, ah, there will be another one. It's not that big a deal. You know, when my daughter asked me to go to her piano recital, 
but I've got work to do and stuff like that. And then I just think, you know, I'll catch the next one. And we think Kronos, and God says, no, 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 Kairos, grab the opportunity. This particular opportunity will only come one time. You will never have this opportunity again. And if you're wise, if you mark your time, your journey on the path that I've set you will take a step forward. Kairos, not Kronos. Kairos. And so I want to ask you, how are you doing marking your time? How do you see your time? There are so many dangerous traps we fall into when it comes to time. There just is. And boy, I, I violated as much as anyone in this room. So when you look at your time and you think in terms of, I've got as much time as I need. My time will never run out. You're thinking exactly the way that Satan wants you to think. Great. That's exactly what you should. You're right. It will come around again. Don't worry about it. Just, just keep on doing what you're doing. Just keep on. That routine is so important. Yeah, it's not a big deal. And God is saying, no, 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 no. Kairos. Seize the day. Seize the opportunity. Seize this moment. moment. Remember the movie Dead Poets Society, Carpe Diem? Seize the day. Remember that? That carpe comes out of this Greek word. Seize. It's that opportunity that's coming. Seize the opportunity. When you think in terms of, you know what? I probably should do that, and I think it's a good idea. I'm just not going to apply that to my life when we're really not wise. Satan delights in that. He wants you to think all the right thoughts. He wants you to know theoretically everything that you should do. As long as you don't do it, that's fine by him. In fact, that's even better. That's even better. Are there things right now that you're thinking, I know that God wants me to do this. I just know he wants me to do this. I've just made excuses why I'm not. And it's probably because you're thinking Kronos. Why? Well, I'll do it down the line. I'll just get, I'll get to that. God's saying, no, 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 don't put it off. This opportunity comes one time for you. Now, there may be an opportunity similar to it down the line, but not this opportunity. Grab this opportunity now. I want to give you um, three things that I think will help you, because I, I want to give you some applications so that we're actually walking out of here, maybe doing something a little bit differently than we normally do it. Uh, and uh, the first has to do with actually an idea that came from a guy named Jim Collins who wrote a book called Good to Great. And one of the things he observed about CEOs of the top companies, the very best CEOs of the best companies in the world, is that they all had uh, this concept, and he sort of morphed it into a practical application, called a stop doing list. Put together a stop doing list. What he realized is people that use their time the very best way do not ask the question, what should I do? They ask the question, what shouldn't I do? Because you have way more opportunities to do things than you really should be doing, even good things. And it takes a lot of courage, especially if you're sort of a people-pleasing person the way I am. It takes a lot of courage to say, there are certain things I am not going to do. 
I'm just going to put them on my stop doing list. When I came to Mariners, Julie and I have almost been here for a year from where we came. And, you know, you step into an environment like Mariners. It's a huge church with lots of opportunities to do all kinds of things. And I felt like I was like a kid in a playground. And it, was, it seemed like there was just every day somebody would come, hey, would you like to do this? Would you like to teach here? Would you like to lead this ministry? Would you like to oversee this staff? Would you like to rewrite this curriculum? And I was just, I was loving it. I was like, absolutely, yes, put me down. I want to do it. And uh, just, you know, a few weeks, a few months into my time here at Mariners, I was crazy. I was crazy. I was like, oh, my gosh. And uh, my, my uh bosses were basically saying, are you getting the most important things done? And I said, well, I don't know because I'm trying to get everything done. And so over the last two or three months, I've been stripping everything away. I've been saying no to everything that comes across my desk. There's two things I say yes to now at Mariners. Anything that has to do with Huntington Beach. So Huntington Beach is a yes for me. And then overseeing the new campuses that we're going to start around Orange County. I've been hired to help with that. Those are the two things I say yes to. And now I am saying no to everything else. Because kairos entails saying no to the majority of things that come so you can say yes to the very few things God wants you to pursue. So the first thing is start a stop doing list. And if you have a pen or pencil, just to get it going, put stop doing list. Write one thing down. Just write one thing down, and then you can fill in the list later. Here's the second thing. I'd encourage you to get a journal because part of the problem is we run so hard, we run so fast that uh, we don't evaluate all these things that are coming to us. And journaling is a great way at the end of a day, sitting down and writing down the things that happened today, what God was saying to you, what went well, what didn't go well, or what's coming up. What is happening tomorrow? What are the things I want to make sure that I do well? What are the things I probably need to say no to? Uh, I'd encourage you, I have a journal um, you know, that I use, and it is a great way for evaluating your time. Because again, kairos does not happen unless you're very careful, unless you're very intentional. So spend some time writing down. Just try it this week. Listen, just try it this week. At the end of your day, write down what happened. Or maybe first thing in the morning, think back to yesterday, write down what happened, and then talk about what's coming up, what's happening today. What are the things I want to make sure I grab onto? And you'll start to notice you use your time so much differently when you're intentional. You don't just fall into things. And here's the last thing on the application. Do what God calls you to do. Don't just think about it. There is this idea of wisdom of actually doing what God calls you to. When kairos comes, when this opportunity comes, it isn't enough just to think, oh, I'm so glad God gave me that opportunity. Oh, I just think that's such a good idea. Really, really, the idea is no, step into it, do it, come on. This is your opportunity. And unless you get off your butt and get into the game, this opportunity is going to pass you by and this opportunity will never come again. Get up and do it. And I want you to think about this. We're halfway through our summer. Is that depressing? We're, we have six weeks left. We've had six weeks. We have six weeks left. We're halfway through the summer. Fall, usually, if you're like most people, fall kicks up and becomes very, very busy. What do you need to do in the next six weeks to prepare 
for the onslaught of fall. Do you need to spend more time with your family? Do you need to spend more time resting? Do you need to exercise, be more intentional about exercise right now? This is a unique time. For most people, summer slows down. You have a little more discretionary time. What are you going to do? What are the opportunities God's giving you right now? What's the kairos that is coming your way? And you have six weeks before Labor Day, and all of a sudden, life hits a whole new level of speed. What are you going to do? How are you going to spend time with your family? You know, what are you going to do to prepare yourself? What are you going to do in your relationship with God over the next six weeks? Here's the final thing I want to tell you about an opportunity that's coming up. Lowe mentioned that we're, we have a bonfire this Friday night, which is a great opportunity. I hope you're all there. Uh, but we're going to have a baptism there. And let me just tell you for a second about baptism. Uh, people have really different attitudes when it comes to baptism. And a lot of people were baptized as infants or as children. And they said, well, I covered that base when I was young. Uh, my parents did it for me, actually. And there is nothing wrong with that. We don't stand against that. We don't think that that's you know, terrible or anything like that. We call that child dedication at Mariners. Uh, we really believe that baptism, though, that the act of baptism is for someone that's already a believer not for a child or an infant. In other words, it's something that we voluntarily do that kind of marks that we say we are following Jesus. We've accepted Jesus and we're following Jesus and I'm going to be baptized as a symbol of that commitment that I've made. And that's literally what baptism is when you immerse someone or dunk them under. When they go down, it's I'm dying to my old life without Jesus. And when you come back out of the water, it's I'm rising to a new life with Jesus. That's what baptism symbolizes. And so uh, I would imagine that in a group this size that a lot of you were baptized as infants and you just sort of think, you know, that's good enough for me. Or you have become a Christian and never been baptized. And I want to tell you that a Kairos moment is coming up this Friday. This Friday we're going to do baptisms. Now, baptism is not the same as being saved and you don't need to be baptized to make sure that you're going to heaven. But it is the first thing God calls us to do after we accept Jesus. It's the thing that he says. Now, as you're getting going, the first thing I want you to do is to get baptized. And let me tell you just, let me tell you why. It is not a hoop to jump through. It's not like Jesus said, well, geez, I died on the cross for you. Could you at least get baptized for me? That's not the idea. Baptism is a gift to us. And here's the reason I think God gives it. When you have faith in Jesus, faith is an interesting thing. Sometimes you believe things strongly. You know it's true. You're totally committed. You have no doubts. And there are other times in faith that you're like, I don't even know if I believe this. That is not a problem with your faith. That is the nature of faith. Faith is one of those things that sometimes is very strong and sometimes it's not so strong. You can think of it, if you're married, as your relationship with your spouse, Sometimes you feel very in love with your spouse and sometimes not so much. And it does not mean that you don't love your spouse. It's just that's the way it works. Sometimes you feel it, sometimes you don't. With faith, sometimes you feel it, sometimes you don't. I think what Jesus does is he says, let me give you a, a present. I am going to give you a marker for your faith so that in those times when you have doubt, you will know that you've made this commitment.
So I'm going to give you something that you're going to feel and you're going to smell and you're going to taste and you're going to see. All your senses are going to be enveloped as you are baptized and you go under the water and you come back out of the water. You're going to remember this day for the rest of your life. You'll remember who was there. You'll remember the time. You'll remember what you were feeling. And you will say, I know I made a commitment to Jesus. I remember my baptism. I remember that day. And God would tell us, that is a kairos moment. That is when God is saying, I'm giving you this opportunity. So I really want to encourage you, if you have not been baptized as a believer, uh, this week, this Friday, we're going to do it. We're going to do it down in the beach, just the way that God wants us to do it. You know, None of these pool things are baptistry things. We're doing it in salt water. And uh, it's going to be great. And we really, we really hope that you would do it. If you're interested, uh, you, know, you can go and just sign up at the welcome table for that. Or you know what? You can just show up and do it. We, before the baptism, I will explain again just exactly what you're committing to with the baptism. We don't have classes for it or anything like that. It's just your opportunity to take your first step in what God has called you to do. And that will be a Kairos moment, right? All right, so let's say Kairos again, and we'll have Jairus come back out here, and we're going to uh, worship to end our time. Okay, so on three, let's just say it with gusto. Grab the ponytail, the person in front of you. One, two, three, Kairos. All right, Jairus. <laughs>